my name's Henry Jackman, uh, I'm a film composer and we're here to talk about the music for King Kong and various other <laughs> musical endeavours. Uh, Henry, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me tonight. Uh, uh, such, I'm such a huge fan of your music, so it's, it's just thank a great, great, great pleasure. So to start, I'll, you know, let's go back to the beginning. I'd love to know kind of what got you into uh, film music, what got you into or music and then film music. Like, what, what kind of set you on the path to become a composer? I remember we talked a while back, and, I'm, and you had some inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I'd love to revisit that. Kind of no, what, that's kind of, what was the, the kind of general genesis of it all? Oh, well, way back. Well, funnily enough, if I rewind far enough, film music, I, I arrived at really, really late. I actually right. had an incredibly formal and sort of frightfully posh uh, musical schooling. Hmm. Um, when I was eight, I went to an sort of English boarding school you know, imagine Harry Potter, but instead of magic, it was cathedral choir right. music, which is a bit less glamorous than flying. Right, right. So every I say, every British composer I've ever interviewed has come through the choir board, yeah. kind of. Well, yeah, yeah, Harry, uh, Harry, Harry David like that. Buckley, yeah, um, John did, Powell didn't, Hans didn't, but did Dom, uh, did Dom? I forget if Dom did. No, but um, you're right though. It's just yeah. well, the, the cathedral choir thing is a really strong tradition. In right. fact, me and Harry, Harry and I, yeah. had the same choir master, John wow. Scott, late John Scott. He's a complete genius. He's a oh, big wow. influence. But so the point being, I'm sort of shipped off to some. I'm shipped off, and I'm singing in St Paul's Cathedral, which is basically the second largest cathedral in Western Europe, <laughs> um, singing liturgical and religious music for. Right you know, two or three hours every day. So it's incredibly right. formal, incredibly strict, very classical. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's quite an odd experience because basically at the age of eight, you're already part of something where you need to be the best sort of thing. Not, not that I was person, but the right. choir. Right, right. It's a bit like being in the London Symphony Orchestra or something like that. You know, yeah, you can't yeah. really mess around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, when you're eight, you don't know that. So you just think that's normal. Right. Um, so in fact, it was a very abnormal uh, school to go to, go to, but you wouldn't know that because there I am. I was there was only thirty eight boys in the school, and mm. the thirty eight boys in the school were the trebles for the choir for St Paul's Cathedral Choir mm. School. So I knew no different. We 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 even stayed on Christmas Day, <laughs> singing in the cathedral, and I just wow. thought that was normal. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had a very classical education. Same thing. I got a music scholarship to go to some sort of other you know Poshinger school called Eton, and yeah. it was all heading in a very very formal classical yeah. sort of tradition. My father was a composer, my uncle was in the King Singers, uh, and then conducted like the Royal something choir, and I always forget which one, the Royal Philharmonic choir. Heavily involved in yeah, choral so stuff. Yeah, fully surrounding you. My yeah. other, his, the younger brother, was a recording engineer. If you look him up, you'll see credits for sort of Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney, Prince, all kinds. Wow. So there's music all over. My grandfather as well played, uh, he was a really good saxof saxophonist and um, Flautist, and you know he played with all kinds, including the Beatles, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> um, and so it was all very classical. And then I think where did it go, quote unquote, wrong? Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around about seventeen, a friend showed up with an eight-bit computer. Sorry, an eight-bit sampler, a little yeah. home computer, and the whole rave thing kicked off in England. And I just like right. the like the vicar's son gone wrong. I just. <laughs> derailed completely from classical and was going to wow. these, you know, hiding under the M25 tunnels, doing all night raves and <laughs> suddenly discovering this whole other thing that kind of went, <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. Uh, which I'd never been brought up as like, wow, what's this? Yeah. This isn't, uh, you know, Scriabin yeah, or completely. all these um, bark chorales. I was, I've, so 
So that was a kind of a bit of a, a, a mix-up in the system. I think my mother was a bit disappointed. Dad, Dad, who, to be fair, was very classically trained, but in, t- to his credit, had a number three hit in Spain called The Flower Pop Man uh-huh. and was part of a psychedelic band called Sin, which later became Yes. Wow. Was in no position to complain. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had the photos right. of him and Chris Squire looking a little the worse for wear. Yeah. Um, so, he, no, he was super liberal anyway. Yeah. Uh, my dad would sometimes summon me as a kid from upstairs and he'd have the score of Bartok's Miraculous Mandarin and I'd have to follow the score with him while he was listening to the radio. But wow. equally, the next day, he might be going, oh, you've got to come check out this bass line yeah. in uh, Grace, in uh, like You Can Call Me Al or, you yeah. know, some boy in the bubble. <laughs> So he was super eclectic. So so I'm slightly excited. Whilst it was really classical, Dad was always really eclectic. Yeah. The music. So then I got into all this sort of rave stuff and drum and bass and whatnot. And then I kind of slithered off into the record industry for a bit. It was too cool for school. Didn't want anyone to know. Yeah. That I could play Brahms Rhapsodies and all this <laughs> stuff. Like hid, hid all that. Um, was lucky enough to hang out with Trevor Horn for a little while. Trevor's great. Ha- yeah. yeah. Had a whole sort of mini career in pop music and I don't yeah. know what I think I was just sort of hiding from from classical music a little bit at that point right and then I bumped into hands I'd done this album called Transfiguration that was my pitiful attempt to sort of emulate the kind of thing Bjork was doing on Vespertine yeah so it's sort of posh yeah. you have a vocal but it's also got choir and electronica and it's right. it's pretty upmarket yeah. business you know and uh, hands got to hear this and went who's who did this and, you, and they somehow got a hold of me and said well come and have a chat so we spoke, we spoke for ages. He said, why, why are you doing what you should be doing for, with your background? You probably knew more chords and harmonies when you were like nine years old than right. most people do. And for some reason, it was like a light bulb went off. For, for, I'd been so extreme. It was either I'd done classical music yeah. or then I was making these like white label drum and bass. Right. Or I was working with Trevor Horn or whatever. For some reason in my head, film music was something done by old people. Yeah. So I imagined a sort of uh, a, a very... Uh, an, an, the elder statesman like Jerry Goldsmith or right. John Williams. I just, exactly. I just didn't think it was. I was kind of too cool for school, you know. So did he have to? Did Hans? Really and Hans to... is like, oh, you idiot! You know, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And like, record, records aren't going anywhere, mate. You know, you need to get involved in the film. And and it's amazing that he said that because towards the end of working in the record industry, I did always used to get frustrated. It's like, God, it's so annoying that this thing's three minutes forty-five seconds. Right. And it's always verse. Bridge, chorus, verse two, bridge, chorus, bit of an outro, a bit of a yeah. middle eight and an outro. It's like, and when I look back on it, I was always trying to like sneak in a bit of orchestra or like try and do <laughs> something to yeah. get out of the right. prison. That it, it, I mean, that's unfair because you get amazing um, pop music and everything. But you could see, looking back on it, I could see I was a bit frustrated with it. And then Hans said, well, why don't you just sit, hang out like a fly on the wall and just yeah. sort of see how, you know, music gets done to films. And it, it was just the, the beginning of a whole new... Whole new yeah, it was like, oh, oh, of course. Yes. Now instead of my, I, I remember I used to have these phone calls to my agent when I worked in the record industry, moaning about, I, oh, you know, I'm educated in music from like Thomas Tallis through to bloody Scriabin. I never get to do any of this shit. And then suddenly I stopped moaning. Yeah. Because film music is, like, oh, I, this is awesome. Film music, you can do anything from right. something really minimal and electronic to you might be called upon to bust out some. Renaissance, you know, harmony. Yeah, you might sure. be called upon to know a little bit about Debussy or Wagner or something could be, you know, it's, it's all, there's no room for moaning in film music because anything, almost anything and everything might be useful and might be what is needed. Yeah. I missed out the getting thrown out of all the institutions. <laughs> I was well, I remember you told me a story um, 
how you how was it you found like a VHS tape of Predator? Oh God, yeah. And that's how yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was the beginning of me realizing that the institution I, I was in was a bit too snobby. Yeah. I, which is no surprise given that it was Eton. Yeah. Um, we yeah we sneaked. Uh, yeah. I, I was sneaked down to this TV room we weren't supposed to be in, and we had this crappy like it had been copied three times. You can imagine that VHS yeah, to VHS, like, right? <laughs> And as I was watching, all the other guys, like, oh, yeah, this is an awesome film. And you see all the infrared. And I was kind of into the movie, but I kept hearing, na, 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 and figuring out the harmony, going, wow, this is sort of octatonic. This is borderline interesting, sort of like mid, this sounds a bit like Scriabin and Debussy meets, like, this is actual meat. This isn't right. shit. This is proper. Yeah. For some reason, I'd always switched off right. for music. Of course, everyone knows that all the John Williams stuff. Right. But, for some reason, I'd never, you know, I had my classical studies and I had my piano lessons. But if you watch a movie, that's just like something else. Yeah. You don't think about it. And I started listening to this stuff and I found I couldn't normally. I can, with all the education we'd had and everything, we had to yeah. listen to a Bach chorale and you'd follow all the harmony. And I was sort of struggling. Go, hang on, that's, there's some quite neat <laughs> stuff going on in there. Of course, they wouldn't let me rewind it. So I remember thinking, you know, I've got to check out and, the, you know, the old credits rolled yeah. up. So that, that Alan Silvestri did, you know, he's, he's going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I met him many, many years later and told right. him that story. Because you got to follow him with Captain America. Yeah, yeah. And oh, he's great. Yeah. But, but, and and, and I, my next piano lesson, where, again, I'd completely failed to do any practice <laughs> and s couldn't get from one end to the other of whatever Beethoven Sonata I was supposed to have learned. I said to him, you, you know, uh, I don't know whether you can get film music as piano reductions, but I just watched a movie that had really good music. That's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not claiming it's quite up there with but it's... And it was sort of tossed aside as a meaningless wow. suggestion. I remember thinking, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you came, you moved, you, I guess you moved out of here, moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. But not um, funny enough, when I first moved over here, I was working with Seal. I was actually still working in the record industry. Right. So when did, so when did you kind of bunker down with Hans and start kind of getting in that additional two, music role? Uh, let's see, maybe 2006, seven, something yeah. like that. So when you started doing that and kind of, you know, you start getting your hands dirty a little bit and start working. I mean, did you and you? But you already kind of you had the kind of training and knowledge of it. You mm. weren't you weren't like fresh out of college. No, right? but I'd had a very different. I mean, there's a lot of kind of coming up through the ranks right. within, say, a hands camp. Whereas I was a bit of an outsider because I'd had the, this whole career in the record industry yeah. and all this classical music. But actually, what I didn't know a lot about was the actual bric-a-brac mechanics right. and the reality of writing music to picture right and a lot of people have come up through that ranks in a similar way and then um did you do you would you say that that's probably the best way to learn it like you, oh god yeah so you i mean i could literally feel my brain turning yeah. i was so used to working on records that when something was to picture the first thing that happens to people who work in the record industry is everything's in four four <laughs> <laughs> or, or or no actually it's not so much that it's more that the music is self-justifying and the most important thing is working on the piece of music and then right. you work to picture you go oh well hold on the, you know the yeah. story's moved on it's like well, yeah no, i know but i'm in the middle of doing my thing with the music seven no, that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> story is god picture is god you got yes. it oh okay so it, and there's a, a whole lot more um flexibility right that, that well in, in learning that you know even what it didn't schoenberg go down in flames because he, <laughs> you know, he he wasn't a bad composer right. but you know to picture yeah it's uh it's a whole different thing so you know you can think you're, you're the most musically educated person in the world which I didn't necessarily think I was but yeah. that means nothing until you get picked her up and learn wow. how to tell a story that's what more than anything I learned from Hans in fact I remember him saying we were waffling on and there's a long rambling interesting <laughs> sort of very PBS conversation about life the universe and everything Yeah. 
about music. And then he suddenly threw out, oh, well, of course, the thing about film is it's nothing to do with music. It's got absolutely nothing to do with music. What's that supposed to mean? Look, no, I don't, I don't care how good you are at music. The most important thing in film music is can you tell a story? Yeah, absolutely. And at the point he said that, I was too green to understand what he meant. Right. And then later, I was like, ah, oh, yes, very it's good a, advice. Yeah, telling, yeah. Telling, best advice. Yeah, best absolutely. advice. When you first started out, uh, you came from these two kind of opposite ends of kind of electronic music and pop music and then orchestra and classical. Did you have kind of a, as a young composer, do you have kind of an identity crisis of what kind? What is my sound? What is my who? Is, what is Henry Jackman music going to sound like? Or did you kind of? Just... Funnily enough, not really, because what the the crisis was actually earlier. Hmm. Meaning, because when I worked in the record industry, none of the more symphonic and grander and harmonically more discursive music was ever needed. Yeah. The fact that I was suddenly in a musical environment where many and all of these things could happen. Right. Uh, I, I, I ceased to feel identical almost the minute I started doing film music because I haven't really obsessed about a sort of particular sound because I was so happy. It's a bit like going, you know, if, if you're a guy who's a screwdriver and a spanner and hammer and nails and a power drill and a something or other, but all they ever ask you to do is use the hammer and then yeah. you go onto this gig where they go, hey, listen, we're going to need a drill. You're like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> And I can, oh, this is fantastic, because funny enough, I've got, I've got a screwdriver, I've yeah. got loads of them, and so I'm happy, I'm just, I think, you know, I mean, if it's the sort of movies I've done, I'm just as happy on Big Hero 6 as something like Man on a Ledge, or King Kong versus, I don't know, I mean, the, the, I've just done, quite, Birth of a Nation's a million miles away right. from... But that's another thing, it's your, it's unique, because you have, do, you do have a versatile kind of filmography, and I know a lot of composers that I've interviewed talk about how easy it is to get typecast in this industry. Yeah. It's easy to be like, oh, you're the comedy guy, you're the horror guy, you're the action right, guy. Right, right, right. But you seem to find a balance between animation, PG-13 action, R-rated yeah. drama. I mean, is that takes... Some is, of it's it luck. Effort? Is it luck or effort? I think some of it, some of it is luck, but some of it is that you do actually not, you do need to be able to do it. Meaning, right. meaning it's not one of those things where I'm sort of screaming at the agent and I'm desperately trying to do something and I'm coming out of a comfort <laughs> zone and it's killing me to try and learn how to do this new thing. <laughs> it is literally, genuinely as comfortable right. if someone... I remember on this really obscure art film I did called Henry IV, it was all very yeah. Thomas Tallis. Yeah. And that was just completely natural because it's all in my bloodstream. Right. And it's just as natural doing something like Man on a Ledge or, or Captain America or something. It's, it's all in the, it's pretty much all in the bloodstream. Just because I got, I think I just got really lucky on the, the mix of uh, what went in. Thanks to my dad, my uncle, the musical education, Trevor. It's, it's actually all been at some point shoved into the yeah. system. <laughs> so, um, so it's maybe slightly less impressive than it sounds because it is all quite natural. I haven't had, it's not like, oh my God, electronics. Yeah. Uh, how does that work? I've never had an experience that I'm gonna have to really push to try and figure out how this works. It's right. sort of in there, you know, I used to bop up and down till four in the morning yeah. doing all sorts of things that will remain <coughs> not on camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, and equally I played it in orchestras. So it is, it, um, the, the mold, the sort of, uh, and well, the luck part of it, I guess, comes in when just when the phone rings and you find yourself on kick-ass and then you find yourself on Puss in Boots. And if you're yeah. lucky enough in the early part of your career to do sort of three or four, where it's like, oh, he's Nobody a bit difficult to tie cast because kick-ass yeah. is nowhere near right. Puss in Boots, is nowhere near Man on a Ledge. And then if you're lucky, you get a reputation for, so well, maybe he's the sort of guy you can call for Anything. most yeah. kind of things yeah. and not, oh, he's the such and such guy. You're so right though, I remember meeting uh, a very distinguished producer who used to direct mm -hmm. 
and um, I think he directed Arachnophobia. And he said, I was just, I was like the spider dude after that. <laughs> like if it had bugs in it, yeah. you know, I used to get cold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's, it's frustrating for a lot of, of composers and, and not composers, I'm sure directors and writers. Yeah. Like, it's like, no, it's oh, a no, general like, rule. I want to tap into this genre. Do you have a favorite genre? Does one appeal to you? No, because I think it's the same thing. It, like, I particularly love doing Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Because I don't, I, I want to do more of those intimate and smaller scores. Right that don't have sound effects all yeah. the way through. But having said that, if I did uh, a movie, say, in the genre of Birth of a Nation, five in a row, I would so be fantasizing about, come on, yeah. give me a, you know, something versus someone, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> give me one of those. Conversely, if it's always, you know, back-to-back -back Marvel followed by Blood, which, you know, you shouldn't complain, for God's sake. Yeah. But then the fantasy would be like, oh, I, know, I really want to do one of those. Right. It's time for another kind of look little intimate peaceful so i think it's like anything else if right. you're lucky enough to be able to do a bunch of different things then i don't think the favorite genre would probably probably be the one that you're not doing at, at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> at the time and you're thinking about the grass is greener over there yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly i've even got see that over there that there's a little piece there by a very oh. talented artist called yeah. lisa swirling wow it's in a box like that there's a little fence uh -huh. and there's a guy with a hose looking over it and yeah. it just says the grass is green perfect there you go yeah. <laughs> some of i mean you've, you've ended up working in uh doing scores for for movies that kind of fall under this umbrella of a brand like disney mm. um marvel and when you say that to kind of the general public you say marvel movie disney movie i think immediately this image or sound of what it should be pops in when you did you know your, your marvel films and your your disney films was it a con was it kind of conscious to kind of be like okay i'm this is the higher power here and i'm kind of kind of fit into it not really or especially not on on something like captain america winter soldier if you listen to whatever that track that there's a track just called winter soldier yeah <laughs> his yeah the, the it's the very howl, much the, the... right that's very much not the sort of thing you go Hey Kevin, I, I, if I, yeah, listen, I'm work with you. Uh, so have a listen to this yeah. and play that straight out of the gate. So be like, um, <laughs> uh, so no, there's there's an element of that meaning, right? Um, it, I guess it's similar to what the Russos did. The Russos really are brilliant directors who put their stamp on it, mm -hmm. but they don't. They're not so self consciously anarchic that they're trying to pull out of the brand. I think that's what makes them so, so genius. Right. You know it's a Marvel film, but you can also feel that it's going somewhere else. Kind of its own thing. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. feel like that's what I did, especially on Winter Soldier. It's got some pretty radical stuff in I there. I think it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite action stories yeah. of recent memory to me. And I mean, you never know, honestly, when I played that Winter... I'd never met them. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to play this Winter Soldier suite that basically uh -huh. doesn't really have any orchestra. It's industrial noise. It's yeah. hideous. Yeah. It's absolutely... It's deliberately hideous. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> this poor guy's like trapped like a sort of Kafkaesque warped Robocop scenario <laughs> stuck inside this metallic, you know, why would that be bassoons? Let's just do something crazy, like yeah. actually get a human voice and mangle it unrecognizably. And they're either going to love it or they're going to go, whatever that is, wow. we can never play it to Kevin. <laughs> We're not putting it in the film yeah. and start again, my friend, you know. Wow. So I just went for it and they, and they were really receptive. So some of it depends on who you're working with. Yeah. I think Disney is an interesting one. Disney, I think you do get a lot of freedom. I suppose there, there are certain harmonic parameters, maybe. I don't even know if that's true. I mean, Big Hero 6. Well, definitely sounds of your yeah. sound. But, yeah. I, but I feel like they, you know, because they, they try to make it part of their, 
the catalog and part of yeah. it. They have to fit. I in think that it's almost subconscious. I think there's probably an element of that that you don't even realize. Exactly. In the same way that if I st stuck, if you were working in London, yeah. for eight weeks. And every day you were in a black cab, uh -huh. uh, the one of those black London taxi cabs for an hour, you'd end up, you, your accent would just slightly get a bit, all right, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Without you even knowing. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so there might be a little bit of like a climb, subconscious acclimatization yeah. <laughs> to the scenario that you're in. I mean, that's natural. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and speaking of, you know, Captain America and... Uh, and uh, you've done some other films that kind of follow in the footsteps of the films that kind of came before it. So mm. sequels where you didn't originally do the first, do the first one, yeah. one. So Captain America, X-Men, Uncharted, Jack Reacher. Um, I guess maybe it depends on the franchise, but are you ever... Is it As a composer, do you shield yourself from what came before, or do you try to make it an extension of what came before it? Well, most in, in all, funnily enough, in all the ones I've done, there's been a real departure on the one where I've joined in. Exactly. You see what I mean? So when Matthew Vaughan got hold of X-Men First Class, it was yeah. like, okay, yeah. we're doing Sorry. something not related to yeah. that. So it just was, it was like, okay, end of discussion. It's, it was almost a re -birth. When the Russos got hold of Captain America, it was aesthetically so far away so from the first yeah. one. Yeah. So... I don't think I've ever been on a movie in which, well, I guess in a, in a certain sense that's self-evident in as much as if it was more of the same, I can't imagine why they would just right. get the guy who did the first one other than they're not available or something. But most times right. I've picked up something and it's yeah. gone further down the line. There's been a radical shift in yeah. the aesthetic. Well, Uncharted was pretty interesting because... That's you, it. It's another example. That was you, a bit of a shit. Because you came in kind of after kind of a bit of a shake-up at Naughty Dog. And, yeah. and Greg, who scored the first three, you know, whatever reasons, they, you know, they didn't they want to go in a different direction. But you had to use his theme, which was yeah. interesting. So. Well, not that often, though. Not that often, but you but kind of, yeah. changed a little bit, too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, was yeah. it like taking, I guess, kind of getting no, the baton and kind of... I, going, I, I okay, quite like that. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, I did a bit of that sort of on myself in Captain America 2 and 3, where we just... Right took a little bit of that Winter Soldier vocal, but now it was more symphonic and it ended up being yeah. used in more of a thriller way and a more, uh, it was it was more sophisticatedly harmonized yeah. and, and not, you know, stripped out all the industrial yeah. craziness. Yeah, the third one was very, the Civil War is stole, different, different yeah. kind of tonal. Exactly, and, yeah. but I stole some stuff. If you actually, for music geeks out there, if you listen to the last like 16 bars of the original Winter Soldier Suite, which sounds like it's just industrial noise, yeah. there's actually a little bit of harmony in there that's stolen and then used and a lot in three and developed a lot more. Wow. Without all the... <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff. I think you last time we talked, you said it was like a cat being castrated out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind is of that gonna upset you later? All the no, wait, noise? that should be fine. Oh. I had ambiance again. Yeah. <laughs> um, Makes it feel like angel heart. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so we were talking about Captain America a little bit, and yeah, when that score came out, uh, I remember there was a very gut reaction. I think from people going, "What the fuck is that?" Like, and kind of a negative reaction. And does that? As a composer, do you react to that? And because you're reacting to it, not seeing it in the context of the film, but yeah, maybe the the little do, bit. Do the thing is, I think the thing you have to learn is you can't win because I'm a bit musically across the whole spectrum. Yeah. So you can't remember. Let me tell you a quick Aesop's fable, right? <laughs> yes. There's a there's an old man, a young boy, and a donkey, uh -huh. right? And they've got to get to market. It's critical they get to markets, and it's a long way. Yeah. So they head off on the dusty path and, you know, the, the old man's on the donkey. Yeah. Why not? He's old. Right. right. And the kid's walking. They pass through a village. The villagers are like, oh, come on, man. Look at this. He's six years old. And you're on the donkey. Look at the poor kid. He's knackered. Just get... 
So he feels bad. He gets off the donkey. The little kid goes on the donkey. They they carry on. They go through another village. The villagers are like, oh, look at this. This kid is getting a cruise on this donkey. Look at you. Look at your grandfather. He's like falling apart here. Yeah. He's gone. Like, well, back up again. They go through another village. This time, whatever. They must be animal rights <laughs> activists. They're like, look at the donkey. Yeah. This poor thing is about to collapse. You know. And so they. Uh, build this ridiculous sort of pole mechanism and tie the donkey and of course when they cross the river the pole breaks they lose the donkey in the <laughs> right. River, right so my point about that is that you know there are people if if for something like puss in boots or yeah. or wreck it ralph the people like, oh henry chapman he actually knows how to write you know music with chords and melody and symphonic it's like proper real proper music kind of thing <laughs> meanwhile people who are into slightly like cooler stuff like i don't know about that it's a little it's a little uh little family right <laughs> then you do something like captain america winter soldier and you'll get half of people going wow this is some badass shit going on here <laughs> and then meanwhile the people who were liking wreck it Ralph like oh what what happened here this yeah. is horrible right this is like this is really nasty so yeah. you can't if you run around trying to please everyone you'll end up in some horrible point in the middle yeah that's sort of not anything in particular yeah i think you've got to accept that that you can't take everyone with you, you know? absolutely let me, I need a little top up here. Okay. How are you doing? I can do it. I'll do another one. Yeah. yeah. I'm so impressed. One sip and oh. you were in with oh, recognizing. Thank you. I'll, bring, I'll bring some bottles next time. Mm. We can do a tasting. <laughs> so we're talking Captain America. We're talking electronics. And uh, one thing that I noticed as a listener, and I'm curious to ask, you know, just me and my ear picking up, I noticed that you kind of removed some electronic textures from the OSTs Sometimes. Sometimes. And I'm wondering yeah. kind of what is the creative decision uh, behind that? Actually, it's not always the, it's, it's not always the electronic stuff. But it's certain textures, right? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. It's often to do when you don't have picture. It's a good question. Are that. you trying to kind of build a, a different listen, a listening experience? Yeah, often I sometimes find that it is such a difference yeah. when you don't have picture in front of you. Right. Um, that there are certain things that, that don't necessarily make that much that much sense that's a really interesting question actually um they're not radically different there are a few yeah it doesn't yeah. There, there's a few where i've taken a few things that i may and sometimes i might like regret it yeah. later i've gone too far <laughs> but um i sometimes i think i think when i get to the cd because there's no image i'm often trying to figure out if there's anything cluttering up mm the cluttering up the orchestral space that isn't actually doing anything valuable now you're not seeing the picture right um so I try not to tinker with it too much but there, there is a there is a bit of that we'll see see what happens on king kong yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it'll be pretty much what's in the movie. apart from anything else some of it is actually to do with edits because yeah. you know you have a score that's 110 minutes no one no one wants to listen to that so you've got to get down to 50. so by the time you got the arrangement going it's mm -hmm. to do with the kind of relentlessness of everything right that's actually i've managed to give you a half decent answer now yeah <laughs> when you watch a movie it's over two hours absolutely yeah once you condense everything you want to present over 50 minutes, if you leave everything in all the time, you're actually not getting the spaces that you get when you watch the movie. Right. So it gets a bit relentless. Yeah, yeah. So you sometimes end up going, well, that's key. We're not touching that. Mm. This is a bit more interstitial and doesn't need some of the elements in it. Otherwise, it gets a bit nagging over yeah. 55 minutes. Because, of course, in the movie, you have whole periods where there are no music and you refresh the, yeah. you refresh the experience. And it's just a different experience when you listen. Yeah. Listen down. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's jump to uh, your work with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, which uh, hilarious, you know, oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, this is the end. The end. One of them ended up being a matter of presidential. I know, and the interview. Yeah. 
of both films having kind of this dark, twisted side to them. And, mm. and so how do you approach scoring comedy with these movies? Uh, I mean, what was the role of the music there? Because you didn't approach it, I don't think, as a comedy. No, no. I got so lucky because without being rude, I can't, it's not... Comedy isn't necessarily a genre that lends itself to incredibly ambitious no, music yeah, but it's, without I think being it's, rude. I think it's one of the most difficult ones. But I got lucky because in both cases, my job was to be as grand and pompous as humanly possible, <laughs> right. which was actually great, meaning in, in um, This Is The End, yeah. while, they, while what's happening on screen is goofy as hell. Well, yeah. Not goofy, that's not the right word, but you know, it's, it's really yeah. funny. Uh, I, my pitch to set, well, I didn't even need to pitch them, they were already onto it. It's like, you need to do your sort of, you know, Sanctus Hominibus. <laughs> the more straight, the more serious, the more you treat the apocalypse yeah. like it is the actual apocalypse and give us some screwed up, um, you know, requiem or mass right. and with a dead straight face. <laughs> so I actually got to write the sort of music you could never do on in um, This Is The End. If you're doing a modern horror film, you can't, you, you, yeah. you're <laughs> unlikely to be asked to do a full on, you know, requiem. Right. And it was the same thing. If you listen to the track Kim Jong-un for the interview right it's a dead straight really really classically put together i mean i remember as i was writing going, wow this is this is sort of piece i actually could have showed my music teacher at oxford this is obeying every <laughs> known rule of harmony and orchestration because the same thing kim jong-un he's being ridiculed in the film right you, my kim jong-un theme is a dead straight strict kind of what, pompous as hell what he yes imagines himself what he thinks he ought to ought to be played when he wakes up in the morning and right. struts out in his with you know <laughs> fake medals that he's awarded himself yeah <laughs> so i just got really lucky that the two comedies i've done required a dead straight face yeah. and and of just fully pulling on classical um you know tradition and do you remember when that all that crap went down with the interview? I mean, oh, I couldn't believe it. Like, what was your reaction it. to I that? Could not believe I remember reading a BBC headline sort of a long time before it all really kicked off, yeah. in which the North Korean government had made some quite uh, bombastic statement about there will be repercussions. I remember yeah. thinking, no, the North Korean government are always saying there's going to be repercussions. Right. right. And I remember Seth called me one day and go, OK, well, things are looking a little rough at the moment. And then before I knew what was happening, I'm reading headlines that, you know, Obama's on the blower to Sony. And I'm like, <laughs> How did this? How did for the for your listeners who don't know what the blower is? It's the telephone. Um, I just it, it was surreal. I couldn't believe that it just sort of turned into a matter of national security, you know. But it did. So you, wow. you can't make it up. I know you can't. So uh, your first film with Matthew Vaughn was uh, was Kickass, um, and you worked, you know, with a whole kind of cast of composers That's there as right. well. Um, and then you kind of, for Kick-Ass 2, you worked with, you know, your collaborator, uh, Matt Margeson. Matt, yeah. Um, so after kind of coming from that kind of group, whatever, piecemeal effort, how did you kind of focus it into Kick-Ass 2 and kind of, I guess I think that's where the you kind of were able to, you build off what you Yeah, I think, well, the main thing with Kick-Ass, there was a lot of cool things going on in the music, because uh, there's a lot of needle drops and Maris yeah. DeVries is involved, there's a lot of really cool right. production and whatnot. They didn't have a theme. I think that was the main thing. Yeah. And then Matthew got me in, and I wrote the the main Kickass theme. So I think that because you can spin that in so many different ways. Yeah. The main Kickass theme is sort of the thing that when you get to your sequel, that's your DNA, and it, it depends how you you know you can spin it in in a number of different ways. Yeah. So I think. Um, uh, it's it kind of made sense because the real struggle in Kickass was to find because part a lot of it was Ma Matthew Matthew Vaughan. It was like, well, maybe, I don't know, it's such an anarchic film. Maybe you don't, yeah. it does not supposed to have a theme. And my opinion is, I promise you it does. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I know, I, I know all directors think every time they made a film, they've reinvented the wheel. And to be <laughs> fair to Matthew, he sometimes has in a textual context. Right. But I promise you, 
Kick-Ass, the movie, will definitely benefit from a heroic theme, yeah. even though you've got these like prodigy needle drops and yeah. the, the doors, and I can't remember, the kinks, <laughs> what else was in there, uh, and all the cool stuff that Marius and Elan were doing, yeah. uh, and John Murphy. I know the big, the big yeah. climax at the end there. Exactly, his, little, his sunshine adoption right. kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly, um, but uh, but the theme, the theme, you know, really attached to the main character, and that's what I'm, you know, I move forward with on the second. Yeah, one, with Matt. Matt so Wilson. yeah, and then you've done, I mean, all of Matt's films kind of since then. Um, how is it? Is it kind of evolved your your working relationship with Matt? Has it gotten easier? Has it gotten harder yeah, ooh, to, to, to get things by easier. him? This is a chance for me to say something really horrible about Matthew Ward. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I actually really like him. He, I suppose you, you might describe him as difficult because he, but I don't think... But he has a vision. The, yeah, exactly. There's different wants. kinds of difficulty. Yeah. There's sort of yeah. unnecessary personal difficulty because someone's a sort of meaningless megalomaniac. Right. And there's the inevitable and necessary difficulty that comes from wanting naturally to do things in your own way. And, yeah. and it's not it's not self-conscious. It just is. Right. And he's a great... And he's a huge music lover, which you, yeah. can, you know, I mean, what, you can't complain about that. Yeah. So he's very passionate about the music, has really strong ideas. So you will end up, you know, in, in these big conflicting conversations every now and then but it's always worth it because his directorial voice is yeah. is absolutely his own and instantly you right. know it's you know you yeah. know it's Matthew Vaughan <laughs> I mean there'd be you, you you know he's got a voice because you could sort of do a Matthew Vaughan piss take yeah. you know what I mean there's there's enough there to right. do a pastiche right. um, but uh, no I think uh, I think in the end if there's no kind of difficulty in working with a director, then you, you, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, if there's no friction, then <laughs> yeah. what are you building, right? Ex exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But some things do get easier. You you do develop a sort of vocabulary right, in the language, and you start yeah. to exactly. Yeah, you don't have quite so many. Is there more trust with the? Yeah, there's more trust. You might disagree, but you don't have to go through the interpretation confusion. Yeah. If, when you're working with someone for the first time, they might express something. And go, hang on, just so. Meaning, meaning what? Meaning, yeah. you know, and then it might take you a while to go, oh, okay, I think he just means don't use the tune there. Yeah. It, but it might have come out of some huge speech right. that sounded very different. Um, so you definitely get a, a, a shorthand so that you can, you know, communicate creatively. Yeah. Um, and this might be one, uh, speaking of difficult directors, I do want to talk about Paul Greengrass. Oh, <laughs> yes. He is. <laughs> He's, he's good though. He's good, but he's I've heard from good. John, and you know that he's a little bit difficult to yeah. please. And he, what was Captain Phillips? I mean, did that test you as a composer? Oh, definitely. I think the the limits of men. The thing about Paul is, in a funny way, he doesn't really want a composer. Yeah, because he's trying. I think I think he's trying to make almost. A, he's trying to border blur the line between fiction and documentary. Almost. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's not a criticism of him. No, that's because his, yeah. he. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Bloody Sunday. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Film, yeah. So so if you if, if, if someone who's coming from there. Right. Uh, and and because he his. Filmmaking is thoughtful politically, and yeah. he absolutely doesn't. He eschews totally the, you know, jingoistic UK stroke US equals good Australia like Somalis equal yeah. bad and or Russians and you know because he's sort of politically neutral and is and if you look at all of his films there is a well funny enough it's not I'd say Bloody Sunday if anything is tilted a bit against the British but they did behave pretty badly. <laughs> so anyway, my point being that in a funny way his ideal scenario is when music is 
almost entirely denuded right. of narrative information. Yes, yeah. So it's test. You you wouldn't want to do that all the time. As a composer, what that means is, you know, if you think, if 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 my hands here mm -hmm. are a description of like minimal content, yeah, then you end up stretching it over this amount of time right. with a really small idea. Yeah. Well, Paul Greengrass goes from here to like the other side of the wall. Yeah. Meaning you, you know, it's a drone, it's a pulse, it's, it, it's, if whatever the limits of minimalism, you thought, well, we're going to have to do something. Surely there's got to be some yeah. development. Think again. <laughs> <laughs> Are you scoring a, is that seems like almost where, where he would just want to take music and kind of just use it as temp almost. I mean, kind of, kind of, but it, this is this to the picture to the Yeah, cut? it does. Yeah. I mean, this sounds all very disparate. I don't mean it disparagingly. No, no, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's very much, a, it's a different way of, yeah, exactly, it. yeah. exactly. But if you're, if you're naturally someone who's sort of bursting with musical ideas, right. it's sort of the obverse. Yeah. It's, yeah. it would be like, um, if it was speech, making you would delete every speech Winston Churchill's ever made yeah. and deliver these strange speeches where you do a monosyllable and then wait for 30 seconds <laughs> before uttering another monosyllable you know and it's very effective it's important you know yeah uh, I think Paul's absolutely right in that respect because um, in something like Captain Phillips yeah had the US military been portrayed over heroically you would you'd miss a lot of the nuance of the filmmaking. Yeah, and then you'd already side. And, you know, exactly, and unless decide. you're incredibly, you're patriotic to the point of blindness. Right. Almost anyone watching Captain Phillips would have to have a contemporary and nuanced view of what being a pirate means and why people are pirates. And yeah. Why, you know what I mean? Right. And that's not going to work if you have baddie music yeah. over pirates <laughs> and heroic music over the navy coming to rescue exactly. Captain Phillips. So. Yeah. Um, I, I do enjoy I enjoy his films, you know. I mean, I if you're looking for a uh, movies with a a very defined, you know, moral, um, you know, stratus, he's, yeah. he's he's not the one to watch. Right. You know? If you're looking for something nuanced and neutral and, yeah, and thought provoking, and that that's why I think that's why people really respect what he does. Absolutely. It's just that if from a film composer point of view, if you spent your whole career doing those, you'd get very frustrated because you're just like, <laughs> I've got so much to say. But I mean, I'm only allowed two notes. That's probably why John kind of backed off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. We did talk about uh, video games a little bit. You did Uncharted 4 and, and Just Cause uh, 3. Um, when you kind of entered that space as a composer for the first time, did anything surprise you about the process, about... The, 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 yeah, how long it, how long it is. Yeah. It's <laughs> I, well, a couple of things surprised me. Firstly... The thing about working on a movie is once you're sort of once you get going once you get on the horse, mm -hmm. it just goes you know all the way to the finishing line. There's no like, hey, let's you know we'll just take it easy for a month. We're not you know it does it's it's a completely committed thing that has a start point and you drive to the finish and the last three weeks are always absolute madness. And it took me a while to get used to a slightly more civil. Video games take a lot longer. Yeah, and because in the nature of the music, it's quite sweet-based and sometimes quite... Mo and also you have these things you have to learn about, like modular. You can't suddenly have these accelerandos and yeah. ralentandos and key changes and everything. It's it, There's a few technical things that you have to figure out in order to make yourself useful, mm -hmm. you know, by especially with a lot of the technology with stem swapping and crossfading. I know, because you go to a different level yeah. and this will kick that <clears throat> yeah. cue in and then... Oh, and it's yeah. getting more and more. I mean, they're developing these software engines that take the stems and, wow. and have algorithms for knowing which stem is most matchable with wow. you know all this kind of stuff so there's the technical stuff to think about 
<clears throat> and but it's also unusual to have this sort of ongoing. I'm so not used to. I'm trying to imagine a film like King Kong where it takes you know a year and four months, and you know you sort of have a little look at real one, and yeah. it, it never goes. <laughs> movies always drive yeah. like crazy to the finishing line. But I, I ended up appreciating that, and it means you can actually. Uh, it, that's why that's the only reason you're able to do it because yeah. you can actually do that kind of thing around movies right I mean and, and you and the, the two games are very different you have one open world game which <clears> is <throat> no structure whatsoever right and then you have Uncharted 4 which almost plays out like an Indiana Jones adventure yeah exactly um, so that's probably two different yeah it does so. it does yeah, you do get a slightly different musical focus in fact yeah. the, uh, the director of the Just Cause 3 Roland he had a, he had a it, it was a slightly more abstracted um, uh sort of creative starting point where it's more mm. it's, you end up being slightly more explorative yeah not quite so specific right um, so uh, we we talked at the beginning kind of how you came up the ranks through with Hans and, and kind of learning the business and you kind of done the same for other composers in the business I mean with Dom and, and Matt and uh, what... <laughs> not quite in the same I don't think you could compare me to, to Hans in that respect but no it's no, nice to but it's a, you, no, you're on working a serious with note, the no, yeah, younger yeah, talent and then definitely. So, so seeing them kind of they, I mean, I've, and I've talked to them, and they, you know, they definitely were like, "Oh, Henry definitely helped us, and we learned so much from him." And then you, they kind of become not students, but collaborators, and you're mm. co-composing with them. And what's yeah, it yeah. like to oh, kind of see great. somebody grow up in their career? And it's it's of... it's almost a sort of uh, uh, you know, it's it's the virtuous, it's the thing that kind of never happens. I right. mean, it, it's I don't know, I could make it sound um, way too uh, virtuous and wonderful, but I mean, why not? It is, I mean, it is a sort of in the same way. I was an apprentice to someone and, and there was loads of things I didn't know about. If you feel like in a smaller way you can then yeah. um, help other people, then it, it's, it is a kind of virtuous cycle, especially with people that you respect and you know, yeah. you know. The thing is, there are so many people who are talented musically in yeah. the world, but it may, it, for one reason or another, things may not happen for them. Right. So when you yourself, being a composer know fundamentally not from an industry perspective mm. from a creative and composer perspective that someone inherently is in possession of genuine natural raw talent yeah. which is very often and no disrespect to producers and directors something they don't know so very often no, yeah. producers will have to go look on IMDb do yeah. we feel safe have they done lots of movies right. if I'm not seeing a lot of credits I'm a bit nervous kind of thing because it's not the right. same as knowing if you're a musician you know if someone's a musician kind of thing yeah so if you do find yourself in a position to be able to help people who you know yeah. actually do have natural raw talent and, and enough psychological gumption yeah. to withstand all the other crap that goes with writing the music, <laughs> then it is immensely satisfying to say to someone, I think you should consider this person or me with this person and right. you're not going to get let down. And then, and then you're completely vindicated. Yeah. So, well, I know... Because I know they're really good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, so, kind of looking up at your uh, your schedule coming up, and you have uh, Kong, Skull Island. That's right. Um, and uh, I did. I have heard that it was a kind of a, a tasking. You just mentioned it was a, a year. Was it over a year? No, no. I, I was saying imagine. Oh. <laughs> oh, imagine. No, no. It, it wasn't the case. No, no. It was over the, a year. <laughs> no, no. I was saying imagine if movies were like video games. No, no. It wasn't. It wasn't. No. It, it so, was the usual three four month thing. For so when you approach Kong, um, it's not and it's not out yet, but um, it means one of the most iconic monsters of all time, characters of all time. I mean, if you don't want to see him, he seems as a good guy sometimes, but uh, he's not a monster. But uh, what was the approach here? Is definitely they're they're kind of bringing back kind of the the 
looks like it's a big fun adventure. Yeah. Well, so, funny enough, that was an interesting one because we took a little time. The director is, is pretty cool and he's very radical. Yeah. So uh, we, I think we ended up in just the right place. But his opening pitch is like, okay, we just, do, we just need guitars. Just guitars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, he's a bit like Matthew Vaughan. He's like overshooting right. a bit. But he really <laughs> wanted to impress on me that like, please don't just do a symphonic score. Yeah. Right? Because it's got the, the 70s aspect. Yeah, it. It and because he, and, he's yeah. just quite an original thinker, he wanted to come straight out the gates with like, if you think because you know you've done a lot of films, you're just going to go and do your thing, and I'm not going to get involved, and you're going to do like a symphonic score, and that's going to be that. Yeah, that's that's not going to fly. <laughs> so I mean, the initial conversations, I was a little worried at first. Like, so so hold on, I don't think we can do a full hundred minute score all on guitars. I think I'll give him the history and then the gravitas. And so we had this great creative tension where he was like, yes. Think 70s, think psychedelia, think... And I'm going, yeah, cool, but uh -huh. also think history, gravitas, symphonic music, grand theme. Right. And and I'll, I'll meet you in the middle somewhere. Okay. So did, uh, you, did, you, did you build, like, a big theme for Khan? Yes. Ex it, with I... In order to for him to understand that I wasn't ignoring him, I spent a little time on, you know, getting a guitar palette going that yeah. would make sense. Otherwise, I didn't want him to feel like... I was someone who goes, yeah, 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 very interesting, and then completely ignore it. Right. But m all the time, secreting that. But at the same time, I'm putting together a massive orchestral suite. Right. For for the Kong theme, which you're going to need. <laughs> so you'll hear in the movie. There's a bit of all of the above. You wow, know? awesome. And I you'll get. So, I was pretty happy with some. The, the, I could get, got to see some really juicy harmony. Yeah. Sweet. And so I, I kind of dragged him into a world he wasn't necessarily comfortable with. Right. With grand symphonic music. And actually, I didn't mind being dragged the other way a little bit yeah, into the perfect. psychedelic guitars. But um, but no, good luck to... Uh, I was... You need... Pe uh, I, it, it's the same thing we're talking about with Matthew Vaughan. If, so, if, if upon meeting the director, it was like, oh, well, you know how to do these like, yeah. big movies. Yeah, so you just sort of go ahead and do your right. thing. What's that? What's the point? That, that? Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, we had a great time. We had a great time. Awesome. <laughs> so kind of... Um, uh, might be kind of a vague question here, but... Um, all the better. We can get all <laughs> philosophical and abstract. Where does the first note come from? I mean, when you're looking at a movie or whatever project you're working on and you're trying to find that first note, where are you looking at? Are you look, do you read the script? Do you look at the picture? No, that is a really good question. I've no idea. Well, I'm trying to think of a few different examples because I really... Yeah, I'm sure it's different for every film. Yeah, I really like the Kong theme. I'm trying to remember how it started. Kong theme started with coming up with some chords. But when you did, you just was it the idea of Khan? Did you did you want to see the rendering of him? Like what was? No, you don't need to know. It's not. It's much more abstract than that. Yeah. So it's. Um, God, I'm trying to think of different ones. I mean, sometimes I came out of a preview of Puss in Boots and just walked up to a piano, and the whole Puss in Boots thing just happened immediately. Wow. Whereas Birth of a Nation, I was still making revisions on a napkin in a restaurant two weeks after thinking I'd nearly nailed the theme. It uh. just went on and on and on, revising, revising, revising. Wow. I don't the I don't know. I think you end up It's when you're not thinking. Something starts to reveal itself. You know it's the real thing. What I've learned over the amount of movies I've done is that you should trust there's a point where if you're smart you have thoughts about a character yeah, like right. Kong. Kong would be a bad idea to go C major, F major, G major, right? But that's a external thought. Yeah. It's a thought that it's a sort of censorship left brain type thought you know right. it's not 
that you're expressing yourself. It, it, but, but even though that's a true statement, it's yeah, a true yeah, statement yeah. saying that would be a bad idea. But you don't get there by going, right, so if that's a bad idea, what would be a good idea? Yeah. Some, some sort of, you know, more profound harmony, blah, blah, blah. And off we go. So whilst there are some sort of regulatory parameters that are probably gurgling around in your subconscious mind, which yeah. are smart. Yeah. So, you know, Jack Reacher shouldn't sound like Marla for example, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work in the movie. So that's kind of gurgling around in the background. But then I think you know when you're onto something, when you just sort of stop thinking and something starts happening. Now, maybe having got a kernel of something, yeah. you then have to get more conscious about harmonization and right, attacking right. it and working on it because now you've got something that you can uh, fiddle with. But yeah. the initial, th like the Play-Doh to start with, just has to sort of... Uh, happen in yeah. some weird that was incredibly vague and I, I no, can't well, be much more useful than that question, but, but, then, you, but then you can actually you can rationalise and, and worry about like the metricity of it the grammar of the theme the syntax the all that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. your conscious mind can come back once you're confident you've got a thing to work with right um, and do you know you're done yourself or do you have someone do you have to have your director or someone else tell you like this is it you got it or do you need do you like, sometimes yeah, I usually know but sometimes uh, sometimes during the film you'll sort of like modify because you yeah. zone in that one level more on right. a character and you end up just adjusting or jettisoning one yeah. part and focusing in on it's not really that B part it's this part right. you know and then developing that yeah um, so a bit of both huh very interesting um, so when you're when you're trying to find that kind of emotional backbone of a film and if you I mean you've you know, you've made me cry several times with your music, oh, and you know that's, we're not going to get too emotional. Please do not sue me. <laughs> um, do you draw on your own life experiences when you're trying to like pinpoint a certain emotion, or do you go, "I know what sad music should be"? I know what it's no neither. It's neither of those. On the one hand, it's not so biographical, yeah, that you're in some sort of um, Freudian handover mm -hmm. from autobiography to composition right on the other hand it's not so cynical that you're going here are harmonic sequences that are guaranteed to arouse the following emotions yeah it's back to the same thing yeah. clearly if you've lived any kind of life and yeah, haven't yeah. been molly it's in there somewhere so there'll be an artistic urgency to when you're trying to express yourself emotionally yeah. the experiences you've had will necessarily inform the piece you're writing, but right. that'll be in the gurgling yeah. area. And you won't know why yeah. you're doing it's it. It's kind of an instinctual... Yeah, but at the same time, it's not pure... We're not in the realm of, um, you know, pure uh, emotion. This is being translated through music. So, you know, yeah. again, the rational brain can come in and you can still figure out your inversions and you know it's a sort of weird little juggling act of all of the above yeah i mean if you if you've never experienced any sort of genuinely searing emotions um i'm not saying that would make it impossible to right. to write music that it moves other people but yeah, yeah. It, it certainly helps to know what that feeling is yeah do you think you're a better composer now that you've lived, you know, lived some time and experienced more? Well, I hope I'm not getting worse. <laughs> uh, but personally, the, do, you, do you think you you have kind of a more bigger base to draw from that you maybe yeah more I think experience, so. More I, th life I think so. I yeah. think that does count for something. 
you end up with a tiny bit of um it's funny in in film music it actually counts for something the amount of interviews i've heard right. with people like iggy pop or whatnot yeah and the speech is always the same you know as they get older it's like i, I can't write the songs like i used to when i was a crazy mad screwed up yeah 22 year old and that might be true if you're on the absolute fringe of like punk or something where it's mm. so raw that you don't even know what you're doing you're you're, you're a moment in time you're a zeitgeist kind yeah. of thing. whereas film music isn't quite as um, on the tip of some yeah. sociological pyramid like that. Right. So, in fact, I think you do potentially get, uh, like, wisdom and the passing of time isn't necessarily a disaster yeah. <laughs> yeah. for a film composer in the way it might might be for, for, as Iggy Pop was describing, he just couldn't quite write the songs like he used to, you know. Kind of uh, uh, looking at the film industry as a whole, kind of as someone who's, you know, worked in it, lived in Los Angeles, kind of experienced the business side of things, the artistic side of things. Are there any trends or things that you look at and go, you know, oh, that's re- that's good. That's good. I'm really glad I'm seeing this. Or are there any trends that you're like, oh, this is kind of unfortunate. I wish it wasn't wasn't like this. Are there kind of good, um, any good to good or bad happening right now that in your Well, the good opinion, part of it is the sheer eclecticism, mm-hmm. really, if you think about it. Um I mean, maybe it's not a fair point because I wasn't as aware in the 70s or 80s as I am now. But I think right. you'd be pushed to argue. It surely it is the case that from 2000 and let's say 2000 to now, the musical vocabulary mm-hmm. that is expected, encouraged, permitted, used to describe the stories we're telling in films yeah. is wider than it's ever been, right. surely. I mean, I know and there was a lot of funk stuff. I'm not saying that in the 70s, <laughs> you, you know, you might... You might just as much hear a hi-hat as you might yeah. an orchestra. But if you look at a range of films that, that are not considered specialists, that your average person is totally happy to go and watch and went, oh, I just saw this film, it's great, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Has a huge spectrum that could be anything from Johansson to Hans to some classical needle drops to, like, you know, Tarantino dropping yeah. tunes all over the place. Right. To, you know what I mean? The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 if it were a political party or a church, the congregation is like varied, made of many colors and creeds, and it's all good. Like, yeah. every, you know, everyone come in. Right. And that's a good thing. Possibly a trend that is um, less favorable artistically is the inevitable financial security people feel mm. in constantly revisiting existing franchises but even then see having said that kevin feige's building a thing that you right. could argue but i mean he's doing it in a way that is <laughs> you don't keep seeing the same film yeah yeah you know it's quite a phenomenal thing he's doing so so it, you know it would be unfair to say you should never build a universe or right or, no it's yeah but you should do it kind of like kevin meaning the way to do it is to think about it and make right. it creative and diverse um, it's there's an understandable element, I suppose, sometimes of financial insecurity that leads to, yeah. you know, sticking with a known um, franchise. But you know, it's that's also a slightly unfair argument because if you look at all the movies made in 2016, there's a hell of a lot of movies that are not. But I also bad. think it's just a, a, it's just the nature of our human storytelling we tell the same stories yeah over and well over exactly again. and we love to hear it you know your, yeah. your father or your yeah. mother told you a bedtime story in their way yeah right and i probably heard it a different way yeah. so it's like interesting that i think i mean there's certain yes there's, there's cash grab movies for sure but to see like i'm not i don't think every reboot is necessarily a bad thing like, no no yeah well yeah. i mean you know they always say there's only a certain amount of stories yeah anyway the key is how you, in yeah. fact my father used to say about composing um i can't remember he's talking I think I thought I was a bit of a smart ass because I'd 
realised that Handel had nicked something from Bach or vice versa. And Dad was like, well, they do that in Baroque music. They do that all the time. Yeah. Any old monkey can write a tune. It's what you do with it. Right. You know? yeah, <laughs> Uh, which is one of the reasons I think Brahms is better than Tchaikovsky, but we won't get into that. Or John Powell give me another one of his big lectures, or whoever it was I was arguing. My John Powell with. interview, we sat, we sat for 90 minutes talking about uh, his piece, his, uh, his, oh. his concerto, and it was it was interesting. I loved it, but oh. it was, he was so passionate about it. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I th- I, John Powell is right up there, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. His, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that piece. Um, so anyway, yeah. The, uh, the I can't think you know given that I'm English I'm surprised I can't think of a whole litany of negative and grumpy things to say <laughs> but <laughs> I actually can't well that's good I guess that's a, a, a yeah. good sign from an industry professional yeah <laughs> um, so outside of music and movies uh, what what is kind of a uh, what do you do with your free time? What's a Henry Jackson? Free week? time. I didn't get any in 2016. I'm trying to get more. That's part of the if, plan. Uh, yeah, but it, it, I love. Oh, I love disappearing. So I just disapp- I managed to get a holiday at last, right at the end of the year, and yeah. I went to the Cook Islands. Wow. So I you love like, traveling. Yeah, I lo- yeah. I've been to 52 countries so far. Wow. Which needs to go up a little bit. Um, I really want to go to Bhutan. I'm really. I'm actually a bit of a nature freak. Yeah. Honest. Yeah. So yeah, when I'm not writing music, I kind of well, I had fantasies of getting it down to sort of pencil, notebook, uh-huh. sort of tie fishing pants, a t-shirt, and yeah. just no internet and wow. staring at yeah. skies and running around, uh, you know, notating how many birds I've seen. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah. That sounds relaxing, and refreshing. <laughs> um, and I guess to to wrap things up, if you could choose any role on a film that's not the composer, what would you pick? <sighs> If you could do anything on a movie. I side. think maybe not director because of the sheer level of carnage. Yeah. And not producer because you're responsible for everything <laughs> and just everything goes wrong and it's your problem because Robert Downey Jr. is not available for the reshoot plus the set blew down <laughs> plus like you're running over budget and you know your lead actress is being a complete nightmare. So definitely not producer. It might be cinematographer or editor mm. because editor, the you know... The carnage is past, and now let's. Yeah. You think you got a film? Now let's see what we really got. Right, now let's right. make making a film is actually all in the. Because uh, yeah. they said actually on the end, you got to film, otherwise it doesn't <laughs> exist. But that's when it takes shape. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. maybe because it's a little more similar to composer. I don't think right, I'm not megalomaniac enough to believe that I know the answer to every single question. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So right. so, go, so what about the costume? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it uh, looks period to me I mean it looks kind of cool I don't feel like I have an opinion on everyone and everything right I feel like I have a lot of opinions about music whereas I think as a director you've got to be you actually need a little dictatorial streak where you genuinely believe that your opinion is the one that needs to be heard on almost everything yeah and and on the few occasions where that's true you've got a really good director Um, so yeah, maybe cinematographer or possibly picture editor even more. Right. Because then you're back at the ranch with all the footage going, right, <laughs> now you, it begins. Do you think uh, composers would make good uh, screenwriters because you're kind of telling a story in a way? Do you think that would... Well, would... it depends because it's there's no... Semi- well, it's a different you know, language. It's words a different versus language. music, but... Yeah, uh, uh, possibly. Would you ever possibly, write but there's so <laughs> many there, There's so many uh, expositional... Uh, yeah. uh, so the, the, it's much more literal... No, right. I don't mean literally as in literary, meaning you can't, you know, the throughput <laughs> that needs to work in terms of narrative has a lot more, I don't know, without sounding disparaging, like pedestrian logic right, yeah. that needs to make sense. It's not the same with music. You can yeah. kind of float around in a different kind of right. set of 
aesthetics whereas with screenwriting it not i mean it, it has to work <laughs> as in cogs and bolts and yeah and, absolutely um otherwise you get found out for sort of hideous inconsistencies <laughs> and, and characters who haven't you know finished yeah. their arc you're like oh damn i forgot about that <laughs> um but maybe yeah it's 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 in the ballpark. I think, in a funny way, picture editing might be closer. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah. Because I, I, you're shaping a story yeah, out of material. Exactly. So notes and putting them, yeah, it's definitely a visual. It's a, it's a, it is opposite. It's sonic versus image, yeah. kind of the sound versus image. Um, and if I, or I would do the sound effects and just turn them all down 16 dB. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to fight with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Henry, thank you so Done. much for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you. It was thank such, a, you. such a pleasure. No, no, it's thank all good. You. Thank you.